This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Joining us right now from Global News is Dave Woodard. Dave, thanks so much for taking some time for us this afternoon. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Dave, let's kind of begin at at what you have found out about this particular paper that has come from this particular roundtable. Where did all of this come from in the beginning? Right. So as you said in the lead up there, there was uh, a roundtable about a year ago now, actually March 30th, 2019, where a number of interested stakeholders, uh, so former hockey players, indigenous groups, Um, They got together to talk about what can be done to not just uh, stop racism from happening, but make the league anti-racist. So uh, basically trying to get it all out of the system. So what had happened at that meeting was one of the, uh, the people who spoke said, I'll speak. I've got no problem coming up here and saying something, but something needs to be done out of this. So Sam McKegney, who's one of the co-authors of the report, said he and a couple of others got together and started putting together uh, a so-called call to action, uh, which is basically 10 steps that they would like to see Hockey Canada take on to try to rid the sport of racism. What are some of the examples of those steps that they have come up with? So uh, there are a number of them, and and it goes everything from, you know, financial issues, which... Uh, could stop people from some racialized groups not being able to play hockey, uh, to trying to make uh, hockey more accessible. Obviously, it's very difficult to get hockey in the very far north, so they're calling on Hockey Canada to make it more accessible for people. Uh, The one interesting one that I thought was talking about uh, hiring practices. Now, they're talking about the nepotism in the sport uh, of hockey in terms of coaching. And we all know uh, if you've ever been to a, 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 a parent meeting uh, for, for hockey, uh, you see this kind of thing happen a lot where there are um, coaches who bring on their kids or, uh, you know, coaches who are, are basically given the job because their kids are superstars and, and they want them to be involved in the program. So, Basically, they're saying, you know what, we're just going to have, a, or they're asking Hockey Canada to, to have almost like blind auditions. So you don't actually put in a name, you just put in your CV, uh, and then they pick from that. They said that would be a, a better way to, to figure that out. And not only would you uh, have a, a better group of coaches, uh, but once that group was kind of singled out and said, okay, these are the people that we want, uh, then they would say, you know, or they would um, make it so that racialized coaches would actually be prioritized that way. So whether it be, you know, indigenous coach or, you know, a black coach or even a a female coach, uh, they would have kind of a leg up on anybody else. We are talking with Dave Woodard, who is a reporter at Global News Radio Toronto 640, and we're looking at a policy paper that's been created, as Dave pointed out, a roundtable took place about a year ago, and since then, and they wanted to have this roundtable if something came out of it. So some researchers at Queen's University wrote this policy paper, and it has essentially 10 things that it recommends, 10 calls to action for not just 
organizations, but leagues, media, individuals, all those sorts of things. And it's very interesting to note that it talks about Canada's game not reflecting what Canada is all about in terms of its population and demographics. Which is interesting, actually, that you make that point, Mike, because when I talked to Sam earlier today, he was saying that, you know, I asked him point blank. I said, well, is hockey racist? You know, is is the sport of hockey, is it just one of those things that it's a cultural thing where, you know, the, and he said, well, it is true that most of the people who have played hockey in the past are, are white. He said, but hockey in itself is not racist. He said society is, and hockey is a reflection of that. He said that uh, if there were, um, uh, so I said to him, uh, would it make a difference if they said, okay, well, let's prioritize getting the game to uh, racialized people. If they gave it to, um, if, if they said, okay, well, let's prioritize having more indigenous kids on the team, having more black kids on the team, having more Asian kids. And he said something that really kind of stuck with me, which was uh, that just because you have people in the sport that are uh, racialized doesn't get rid of the stigma getting rid of the stigma will bring in more racialized people. So it, it was an interesting thing that, that he brought up in terms of, of how to fix the game um, and how it, it really is a, a reflection of who we are as a people. So more of promoting it so that people learn the game, take up the game, and if they come from different races, then they will play the game as opposed to saying, okay, quota, we got to have uh, this many people of this race, this many people of this race. That's not the way to go about it. Exactly. He, he really kind of made that point that uh, he doesn't want to see it really kind of uh, put forward to kids like it, it, black community groups and saying, okay, you need to play hockey. He thinks that if they clean up the racism in the sport, which he he called systemic from, you know, everything from, uh, you know, the very minor leagues up to the NHL. Uh, he said if they were able to clean it up and get racism out of hockey, then people would come to the sport. Dave, thanks so much for your work on this. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Mike. And our next guest absolutely knows exactly what he is doing when it comes to hot foods because this man is starting to hold a whole lot of Guinness World Records. This past weekend, he was able to do something that has never been done before. He was able to eat more ghost peppers by weight than anyone ever has in the entire world. Happened at the Heat Wave Hot Sauce Expo at Centennial Hall. Please welcome one of the hottest guys in this area, Mike Jack. Mike, how are things? Hey, they're great. <laughs> you uh, you now have yet another record. Uh, I don't know how many you're up to now. Are you keeping count? I hope you are. I am, yeah. So for, uh, for official Guinness World Records, um, this is that, that was my third one. There's, Number three. Uh, yeah, there's a there is only eight altogether for uh, for hot peppers, so I'm I'm racking them up. You're almost halfway there. Yeah, and yet you're able to pull this stuff off. So we've got to put some perspective on this because the ghost pepper is often referred to as the pinnacle of hot pepper. Is that about right? 
Um, it's it's close. Um, at one time, the the, the uh, ghost pepper was a Guinness World Record holder for world's hottest pepper. Um, it's been beaten a couple times uh, in the last few years. Uh, right now, it's the uh, the Carolina Reaper uh, for the last few years is uh, the world's hottest pepper. Have you ever eaten a Carolina Reaper? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I've eaten a lot of them. Uh, one time, I was I a couple times actually. I've seen like how many I could eat. And uh, I've eaten uh, 56 once, so that was um, that's actually uh, like the third most ever. So you find the hottest pepper going, and you just sit back. I'm picturing most people might sit down with a treat like a bag of chips, like some, some yeah. good Cool Ranch Doritos, and just kind of eat 56 of those. You're pounding back that many Carolina Reapers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, not really sitting back relaxed or anything. I'm kind of... <laughs> Standing and powering through them uh, best I can, but yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. So <laughs> even before we get to what you did on the weekend in setting another Guinness World Record, can you solve the question that everybody listening and hearing from you maybe for the first time is going to be asking, and that is, hey, why does Mike Jack do this? So, Mike Jack, why do you do this? Um, I guess a lot of reasons. Like, um, I just think it's. Like, I think it's fun. Uh, it's something I, I think I'm pretty good at, so I want to see how far I can go. And I guess I, um, I guess I just see it as a sport, right? So I'm trying to, you know, compete with other, with other people. And people might think it's crazy because, you know, I, I do get, you know, I, I do, I am in a lot of pain afterwards and stuff like that, but I don't think it's that much different than, you know, like boxers, uh, you know, they get punched in the face all the time and, uh, like football players get concussions and stuff like that. So at least I'm not getting hurt like that bad, I don't think. so. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever asked a doctor, you know, I'm, if I'm eating this much of, of this, I guess, heat in a pepper, am, is there a possibility that I could do some damage? You ever found that out? I guess I haven't really talked to a doctor, but I've done a lot of uh, like research in that online and stuff. Um, and, yeah, it, it seems like it's not really a not really as dangerous as uh as some people think it is so you know the peppers don't actually physically burn you it's like a, a chemical that you know the peppers release that goes to your brain that makes you think that you're on fire right okay so, um, it's kind of just uh you know you get this that sensation of heat and that uh you know that that feeling of burning but it doesn't actually doesn't actually burn you like i've never had uh you know looking at my tongue it's still in in good shape i've had uh uh, you know, from these peppers, actually, it's only the second time it's happened, but I had a burning sensation in my hands just just touching them, just taking them out of the bag and putting them on the plate. But then uh, you just wait a while, and, yeah, there's no, like, burn mark or anything. Like, I'm not physically hurt or anything. It's just it's that sensation of heat. London's own Mike Jack with us on London Live, who on the weekend set another Guinness World Record. Now, there are eight Guinness World Records when it comes to eating hot peppers, hot things, and Mike now is the proud owner of three of them and still going. This happened at the Heat Wave Hot Sauce Expo at Centennial Hall. So let's go back to that moment. You were able to eat 246 grams of ghost peppers. So put us in your chair. You know, you're there. I've seen a picture of you on Facebook. You had a headband on. So yeah. <laughs> is is that a, a special headband? Uh well, I just uh, I just wore a headband once, and uh, people thought it was funny, so I just uh, I just kept it up. So that one's actually my my new special uh, heat wave hot sauce expo headband. So yeah, I love happy it. About that one. <laughs> okay, so you have that, and you have a bag of peppers. Is that what you had in front of you? Because you said you had to take them out of the bag and put them down. 
Yeah, well, um, yeah, when I when I received them at the uh, at the expo, they're in a bag, and I, I took them out and put them on a plate, and then we had to uh, we weighed the plate, and uh, and then I put the plate in front of me. Uh, eventually, you know, uh, uh, I had uh, timekeepers there, so they would um, you know do their stopwatch for two minutes. I'd eat as many as I can, and then they put the plate uh, back on the scale and weighed it, and I sat there in pain until they uh, made the announcement. Where is the pain coming from at that point? Um, at that point, it was uh, it was pretty much like in my mouth. Yeah, it's just uh, just a just a lot of a lot of heat. Um, and then it got into my eyes. I was actually uh, I had some uh, hot tears coming out of my eyes. So that was not really the best, but I managed to uh, to survive. I guess so. How long does all of that sensation last? Well, uh, that's actually the the easy part. That part, um, like just like the the heat in my mouth and my face and all that, it um, it was maybe like uh, maybe like twenty minutes or or so. But then uh, then after about an hour, that's where it that's where it gets into your gut. So that's where uh, that's where I was really hurting. And it comes in waves. Like I would be I would be fine like uh, one minute and uh, be you know hanging out with everybody, and then a couple minutes later it would just uh, it would just be like just killing inside. <laughs> And how long will that last? And uh, that lasted for uh, most of Saturday night. And then uh, when I woke up on Sunday, I was I was pretty okay. So Okay. Now, what goes in must come out, if you get my drift. Uh, is yeah. there any pain involved there? Well, I get asked that a lot. And uh, to be honest... Um, I think that it, I think it's my superpower. I, mean, I never get the, uh, the the burn butt, as they say. <laughs> uh, I just uh, I don't know I don't know why. I just I just when I first heard people talking about it, I kind of just thought they were joking and stuff. But then yeah, I, I I never get that. But one thing that's interesting that I do get is uh, something that uh, in the pepper community they call fire hose. And that's where you get the heat, but it's uh, it's from it, the other side. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ah. Now you've you've just given uh, half the population a, a sensation of their own right now. We're talking <laughs> with Mike Jack, who is the hottest guy in London, holds the record now for eating the most ghost peppers in two minutes. So, is there a rule in Guinness where you've got to keep all this down? Is that part of it? Um. Like you have to, uh, you have to keep it down. Like during the uh, during the two minutes, um, I guess. Uh, I guess in the uh, actual rules, it says if anything comes out of my mouth, it has to be uh, like weighed with the with the peppers after. So, um, so subtracted kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So you know, but if I was to, you know, uh, throw up during, like, uh, yeah, there's there's no way that I would that I would make the record or anything. So you pretty much have to keep it down. Okay. What's up next? So next, uh, my next Guinness record attempt is going to be uh, May 30th in uh, Ottawa at a new hot sauce expo called Heating Up the Capital, and uh, my wife's actually getting involved too. So we're going to do a Guinness record together, and it's for uh, hottest haban or uh, for longest habanero kiss. So um, it was a record that was set on uh, Bachelor in Paradise, the TV show. So basically, we each have to uh, eat a habanero and then press our lips together and hold them there for as long as we can. That's amazing. When are you doing this? On uh, May 30th. May 30th. Okay, we're marking that down because uh, we've got to send somebody to that for sure. Mike, this has been a lot of fun. It's always great talking with you. I know one day we're going to be able to talk about you owning all of the records and then records that people couldn't even think of. You're amazing. Please keep it up. Keep putting London on the map. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. So joining us right now is Dr. Mario Alaya, and he is here just to talk about things from a physician's perspective when it comes to the new coronavirus, COVID-19. Dr. Alaya, how are things? Things are good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. We like to check in every once in a while on things, and we have something to certainly check in on with what is happening with the new coronavirus, with COVID-19, with some of the concerns everybody has. The media tends to cover this story, and there's a lot of media these days, and people say, oh, well, it's there's a lot of fear-mongering going on. So we're going to take a nice rational approach. One of the first things we have to talk about, though, is surgical masks, which if you see pictures in China, everybody's got a surgical mask on. There was a picture coming out of the Iranian airport today. Everybody's got a mask on. Are there enough masks to go around for the globe? So this is this is an issue we're running into where, uh, unfortunately, even here in Canada, people have, have uh, seen things on the news and, and started to panic and, and buying up masks and wearing masks around. And um, unfortunately, it's created a, a, a bit of a shortage, which has actually been affecting even physicians' offices. Uh, uh, speaking to you off air, that we, in our office, um, we are having difficulty acquiring masks for the office. We're down to about five boxes for the for the entire office, which we're which will be enough for us to to, to use. But um, the average person needs to know that they do not need a mask for kind of everyday walking around here. Um, Certainly, if they're sick uh, and have a cough and, and want to protect others around them, I don't think it's unreasonable to, for them to wear one mask. Um, but the idea of everybody getting out and stockpiling masks is something we really need to get away from because, again, worldwide, we're already dealing with, with shortages of, of, of uh, surgical masks, and we don't want to uh, make this any worse. Yeah, and in a doctor's office, for instance, you're not using masks with reference to the new coronavirus, you're using them daily just because that's what you need to do. Well, we have people coming in with with just your usual coughs and colds and influenza that we're still seeing and pneumonias. So it's business as usual for us because obviously we're not seeing community level spread of of coronavirus here. Uh, we need we need our masks to kind of get through day to day stuff. So that's where uh, I, I know people are seeing things in the news and and uh, and, and and fearful. But but to, to get masks here locally, uh, people need to absolutely understand that that is not a necessity. And please stop bulk buying masks. We're talking with Dr. Mario Elia, and we're talking about the new coronavirus. We're looking at some of the things that are being said, some of the things that are happening. Masks become a big issue and that manufacturers aren't used to the demand, and so the supply is very depleted at the moment. So, yeah, you, you don't need to be walking around with a mask, but we see so many different organizations now coming up with these plans, which makes it sound like, whoa, this, hey, this, this is getting serious here. The NBA says, hey, don't high-five anymore just fist bump. You've got a college association talking about not allowing fans into events. You've got World Hockey Association and IIHF saying, yeah, we're not sure if we're going to even have events and things are being canceled. They're talking about the Tokyo Olympics. And you hear all of this and you think this this is incredibly widespread. And you start looking over your shoulder thinking, is the virus behind me? What do we need to think about this right now in, in light of all of the things that surround us? So I think a lot of the precautions that have been taken, so you've seen a lot of European soccer games, for instance, 
uh, either be postponed or closed to spectators. Uh, today, I saw one of the FIBA, the uh, the Olympic three-on-three basketball qualifying tournaments has been postponed. These are all reasonable things to do in any uh, situation where we have kind of a, a, a spreading outbreak of anything because social distancing social distancing is important. That's what essentially what we call it, where we don't want people getting in together in huge groups where things can spread quicker than others. Um, Japan, for instance, has, has closed close schools because of the risk of that. Uh, that's different than kind of day-to-day, you know, going about your life, uh, you know, going to the store, going to a restaurant. Uh, we don't want thousands of people getting together whereby a few people who are who are ill could infect hundreds or thousands. That's the kind of approach that's been taken. But for the average person, especially here in Canada, where we aren't seeing any community-level spread, uh, community level spread meaning that no one has no one coming here is spreading it to others who are here. Right, everyone who's been diagnosed in Canada has been um, has has been straight from one of the higher risk countries. Um, so, given where we're at right now, and I know the U.S. is is ramping up their testing, so we may be seeing more cases coming out of the U.S. Especially over the next week or two. Um, not having these big events. Um, uh, is not unreasonable, especially in Washington State, where they're seeing a lot of cases there. Now, as for the rest of the NBA and the NHL, we'll see some, de- you know, some decisions made in the, in the next little bit whether that'll be uh, that will be affected. Um, but um, the, the big events, I don't think it's been, been unreasonable for them to uh, to cancel. Them. Hopefully, this doesn't affect the Olympics, but I think we'll see some decisions made on that over the next couple months. All right, we are talking with Dr. Mario Alaya, and we're talking about the new coronavirus and just some of the things to keep in mind and. One of the things that comes up is the fact that just because people get this particular coronavirus does not mean they die. And I think that almost it almost feels that way. But you look at the mortality rate. uh, How does it kind of compare in what you've seen? Yeah. So obviously we're not not seeing anything here. So this is uh, is from what we're seeing from the WHO. So the mortality rate initially was quoted as 2 percent. But that we're going to see changes in that over time with um uh, with higher quality data than what we've seen so far. Because um, so far, all the data we've seen has been from Italy, China, Japan, and Iran. So once we see more data, we'll see mortality rate of 2%, quite low influenza rates uh, of death is usually around 0.1%, so higher than that. Um, but, you know, again, we're still not even close to seeing um, much, uh, much locally, if anything. Locally. I can tell you, I go through my entire day. If it wasn't for seeing the coronavirus on the news, I wouldn't think about it. Just to put that put that in perspective, so this is someone who is seeing people coming in with with illnesses uh, day in and day out, and, and and we're not seeing much of anything here. Um, I, I think the the important thing to convey is that if anybody is coming back uh, travel wise from any of these high risk countries, so high risk countries meaning Iran, China, Japan, South Korea, um, and Italy, uh, and Singapore, any of those high risk countries, anyone coming back here. I know um, the the feds have have said that certainly anyone coming from Iran should be quarantined for two weeks. I think anyone coming from any high risk country, if at all possible, should probably be quarantined for two weeks to make sure that we're not uh, allowing any 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 spread from uh, from anywhere else. Um, but kind of taking those those approaches, uh, I, I think is important because again, we ha- we really haven't seen. Uh, anything anything locally, which which has been reassuring for for us uh, here in London and, and through the entire province. Doctor Elia, while we have you on the phone, maybe it's it's good because a lot of people 
at the beginning of all of this said, well, this is just going to be a reminder, and don't forget, we learned through SARS in 2002 and 2003 how things were to go, and and that was very useful for a lot of health agencies and, and health operations in Canada, but we have viruses all the time. You know, this is one yep. virus of thousands of viruses that you can get, but you don't want to get any virus. Nothing is any fun. So give us kind of a checklist to avoid getting viruses, period. So the one positive I can pull out of this is that it's kind of made everyone a bit more aware and kind of been a good refresher as to how should we actually be approaching, like you said, the average virus and how to prevent spread and, and what are some common sense kind of things we can do. I know we, we rail on about the importance of hand washing. And we're always talking about washing your hands, washing your hands, washing your hands. That kind of gets a bit monotonous. But in reality, that's the best thing that we can do to prevent the spread of viruses. And I think we get a little bit lackadaisical here, uh, especially in Canada, where the majority of viruses that we see are cold viruses um, that, you know, come and go and don't cause too much of an issue. So we see people going to work still with illnesses and things that we don't want to see, but but kind of going about their daily lives. Um, but it's always, it, this is a kind of a reminder that, you know, when you are sick, it is important to distance yourselves from others, right? Because we don't want the, any virus, whether, even whether it's a cold virus or influenza or, or, or coronavirus, to be spreading. So distancing yourself when you're sick, good hand washing, not touching your face. I know that's something that if, you know, Sit down at a restaurant, look around, and see, see how often people will touch their face. Just because that's something we normally do. That's part of our part of our habits. But that's for for us being for someone who is sick. Um, that's one of the worst things to do. And and uh, especially if you're not even sick, you could be touching something that someone who is sick may have touched. And now you're touching your face. So good hand washing. Don't touch your face. And if you're sick, stay away from others. Uh, do the responsible thing and 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 exclude yourself. Because that's actually one of the reasons why we haven't seen this get worse here. Is that those coming from other countries have actually been extremely responsible in terms of quarantining themselves, um, recognizing symptoms right away, because if not for how responsible they've been, this could actually be, be much worse for us here. Yeah, well said. Well, Dr. Elia, keep up the good work. And if you missed it off the beginning, please don't hoard surgical masks. There are actual doctors and healthcare professionals who need them in their practices, and they're disappearing at an alarming rate. So you don't need one to walk around the streets of London, as Dr. Elia says. And uh, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 